This episode contains a beat-by-beat breakdown and lots and lots of spoilers for the 2020 Netflix original movie, Love Guaranteed. If you wish to view this movie as a spoiler-free experience, uh, please pause this podcast, go watch it, and then come back. It takes about 90 minutes, and you will probably enjoy this episode more if you watch it first. You're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wide and wonderful world of streaming rom-coms and teen cinema. I am one of your co-hosts, Martha Sullivan, library manager, and uh, I think I said this last week, but it continues to be true, uh, guinea pig wrangler. And I am joined, as always, by my co-host. I'm Marin Hagman, um, adult services librarian and rom-com enthusiast. Oh, how are the pigs doing, Martha? Uh, well, we have put them, they are now sharing the big cage. Um, the big cage has been split down the middle because they are still acting like furry doofuses. Oh, no. Yeah, so they, they still, we wanted to get Selena off the floor because we have a cold front moving in. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want her to be subject to drafts. Um, but they still cannot be trusted uh fully together so we have the cage split down the middle um so they can see and talk and yell see and talk to each other and do all of their dominance posturing but they can't actually fight Uh, okay okay my hope is for this to last no longer than a week because the divider in the cage is going to make cleaning it very hard (laughs) yeah 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 more surfaces uh, well, and because we use fleece bedding, the divider is on top of the fleece, so the divider will have to be removed, and the divider is currently zip-tied to the cage in about 18 different places. Oh, no. This may not have been the most well-thought-out plan, but <laughs> we're doing the best we can. The motto for 2020 and 2021. Yes. <laughs> we're doing the best we can. Somebody get me a t-shirt with that on it. Oh, I'm sure Etsy can help you out. True. True. Um, we are here today to talk about the 2020 Netflix original Love Guaranteed. Uh, Love Guaranteed was directed by Mark Stephen Johnson, written by Elizabeth Hackett and Hilary Galinoy, and it stars Rachel Lee Cook as Susan Whitaker, Damon Waynes Jr. as Nick Evans, Heather Graham as Tamara Taylor, uh, Caitlin Howden and Brendan Taylor as Melanie and Gideon, um... Uh, Susan's sister and husband, um, Sean Amsing and Lisa Durupt as Susan's law partners, and then a oh, and Alvin Sanders as Jerome, who I loved, um, and a bunch of other people. Uh, Love Guaranteed is about Susan, who is a lawyer in Seattle, I think. Yes, I think yeah. Seattle. Um, who takes a case from Nick to sue the dating website Love Guaranteed because Nick has been on a thousand dates and has not yet found love. Uh, Over the course of preparing for the case, Susan and Nick start to develop feelings for each other, uh, which culminate in 
um, a threat by the opposing law firm that if it is true that Susan and Nick are falling in love, uh, they would have done so via the avenue of love guaranteed, um, which would invalidate the lawsuit, which causes Susan to try and put the brakes on their burgeoning relationship. Uh, things come to a head at trial when Nick decides that he would rather be in love than win the money, uh, confesses his feelings to Susan, who uh, reciprocates, and uh, they are able to uh, stop the trial, um, but still make out with uh, legal fees and some uh, extra money for a charity that Nick works with. Um, by promising to be the new face of Love Guaranteed for Tamara Taylor, played by Heather Graham, who is the uh, developer and owner of the company. Gonna remember to record our spoiler warning after the episode, because <laughs> I forgot it. <laughs> um, initial thoughts and feelings about Love Guaranteed. So, Love Guaranteed, to me, is... The problem of the mediocre movie, right? Like, I feel like what's frustrating is unlike A Christmas Prince or the 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 one where they switch, the one where there's two of them. What is that? Princess Switch? Yes. Um, it's not bad enough. It's not the bad as those. And and so it's like bad. It's not bad enough to become fun. And because there's enough glimmers of like a set it up of like an actually good rom-com and it's not good enough to actually be good so to me it's it's in this terrible little ground of not bad enough to be fun not good enough to be good and just kind of there um case in point uh on paper heather graham playing an evil tech ceo should be amazing that sounds great. Sign me up. I love watching Heather Graham play villains. And in this, she's just lifeless. Um, and I just feel like that was the, a lot of the problem with this movie is like on paper, the ideas were there in something. It's like somebody took the color filter and just like desaturated it a little bit. And so like the bones are there. And it just feels lifeless. I don't know, Martha. What did you think? I didn't hate this movie. Wow. This is a rare case. Of <laughs> <laughs> I thought this movie was cute. I thought it was pretty thin. Um, but I thought that uh, Rachel Lee Cook and Damon Waynes Jr. were thoroughly charming. Um, I bought the chemistry between them. Um, it It is a very... It feels very hallmarky to me, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Just it's very like lawyer. It's 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 got a lot of kind of hallmarky or lifetime movie signifiers. Yes. Um, I don't know. It's 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 not reinventing the wheel. Like there's nothing new here. But I liked both of the main actors enough that I didn't mind spending 90 minutes watching them be idiots and falling in love. 
<laughs> well, okay. And so building on that, I think part of the problem here is that I, I think that the one, that is the strength this movie has going for it is that both of these actors are charming and they have pretty good chemistry and the movie doesn't let them interact for fully the last third of the movie. And so it's like, so I feel like, you know, there's the formula in every rom-com where like inevitably somewhere near the end, I think this is true in romance novels too, you know, there's always a hiccup, there's always a problem that separate the couple until the end and we get to see them come back together. Like that's part of the formula. And, but here though, I think that we either didn't have quite enough scenes of them together coming beforehand or that breaking them up happened just a bit too early such that like by the time we we lost the urgency of them getting together and by the time it it came back around it it felt like some of the wind had been taken out of the sails of the story and I think that yeah there's a delicate balance that rom-coms have to do of like giving us enough of the relationship for us to buy it while also giving us stakes and giving us challenges that the couple has to overcome but for me yeah it just again just everything felt a little flat and and that's just indicative of like if they had given us some more time with these charismatic leads I would have I would have enjoyed it more and I think, yeah, to me, it just, it, it falls in this awkward middle ground that I find frustrating. Well, and I wonder if that didn't bother me so much because I never, I never felt like their relationship had any urgency. Like, <laughs> I, I never doubted, like, the, the breakup is so artificial that I was just like, well, at some point we're going to resolve this. Like this isn't even a breakup. It's just a like, hey, I have to work, so can we not watch a movie tonight? <laughs> yeah. And I think just like those scenes compared to I think the best scene in this movie, hands down, is well, okay, two things. I have two things. The one, the most charming moment in this movie is undoubtedly where so to experiment. And to get some insider knowledge of how online dating works, Susan, we see Susan have a montage of online dates. Um, and that was, for me, hands down, the best scene in this film was this montage of the very sweet restaurant owner next door to her office volunteers to let her host these dates for, like, a discounted price. And there's this great montage of, like, her being ghosted several dates that are just horrible like it oh that that part of the movie really worked for me um but to me the second most charming scene was one of susan's bad dates shows up so nick has told her that he takes all of his dinner dates to this specific restaurant which actually i found kind of charming because like the server knows him the staff knows him it's like it's very cute um and reminds me of why i miss being a regular at certain bars oh Thanks, COVID. Um, and um, Susan decides to investigate. Um, and, and one of her terrible online dates happens to show up there. And, like, Nick kind of rescues her from having to interact with this terrible online date. And she kind of rescues him from this online date that's going horribly. Like, and, and that scene was actually really charming and we didn't get scenes like that for like fully the last third of the movie. 
And so I think part of me is just like, oh, like, if you just leaned into this, like, this could have been way better. But we only get glimpses of, of moments like this. For me, the best scene, I think, was when um, Susan goes to the rehab where Nick volunteers. Mm. And we find out that he's doing the physical therapy for the first client of Susan's that we see her represent at the beginning. Um, and the interaction between Susan, um, Nick, and Jerome, the uh, the older gentleman who we find out is also the one who referred Nick to Susan's office, uh, I thought was very cute. That was cute. Yeah, Jerome was very charming. My biggest issue with this is why I don't watch legal dramas and can't watch anything I don't watch very many things that have, like, a law theme or story. Oh, I didn't know this about you. Okay. I know too much about being a lawyer. Oh, (laughs) fair. And as soon as we find out what Nick is in Susan's office to do, I'm like, this is a class action case. Like, it is fully bizarre to me that Susan doesn't go, if you have this problem then many users of this website have this problem. Like, first of all, the website is, the fact that the website didn't have disclaimer language on it is also ridiculous. And I get that that's the point of the movie. Um, But I I had, I have too much insider baseball knowledge (laughs) of how law works for me to really like sit back and let the the legal stuff happen i like i know too much (laughs) well and i think we're supposed to get some sort of hand wavy reference to the fact that like no one else has documented those thousand dates which is why this hasn't come up before but yeah there's no way a tech company in 2020 would not have like a very long disclaimer and like user agreement This is reminding me of that episode of Parks and Rec where um, that tech company sneaks in language about harvesting people's data by putting it in a contract on the day a Star Wars movie comes out so Ben (laughs) won't notice. (laughs) So, like, we needed something like that. Mm -hmm. On a side note, and Pete, you can maybe cut this, how do you feel about A Few Good Men? What do you mean? As a legal drama. No I've key. only I've only read the play. So mm. I don't have a lot of feelings about it, I okay. guess. Okay. Interesting. Sorry, tangent. I mean I guess what what do you what do you mean? Oh, I'm just curious if that is a legal drama that also makes you go oh, that would never happen in a courtroom that way. Just because that has such an iconic, like, courtroom drama scene. Oh. Yeah, I've, I've never, I've never watched it. I've only read it in, like, a freshman English class. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I thought this movie was kind of, like, I, I, if I didn't have to record this podcast, I would have stopped thinking about it immediately after it was over. <laughs> it is definitely a, this movie travels from point A to point B. We know what point B is going to look like. 
Um, there's not a whole lot to disrupt it on the way, and people are going to look real cute while it's happening. <laughs> um, I guess for me, too, part of why this movie suffered for me in comparison is because I just recently... Before I watch this, I watched another Netflix rom-com called Midnight at the Magnolia. Okay. And so I was also, which, which has a very similar Hallmark, Lifetime-y um, kind of tone to it. And I think that watching those two movies in succession, and then I also recently rewatched Set It Up, just like that comparison really did not fall favorably on Midnight the Magnolia or Love Guaranteed. It's also possible I had a little like Hallmark vibe fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, again, for me, like just part of the frustration is like all the pieces are there and they were so close to doing it and like making this a really fun, engaging film and they just didn't quite get there. And so it's almost more torturous than, like, just something that's straight up bad. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, Midnight and the Magnolia had a similar frustration where I was like, oh, all these pieces are there. All these things that, like, all these tropes I like are there. We're so close. We're so close. <laughs> nope. <laughs> like, it's like, you know. Almost getting it in for a run on home base and, like, just getting out, you know, rather than staying safe at third. Sorry. I don't know why I went to baseball metaphors. But there's my baseball metaphor. I wish they would have just stayed safe at third base instead of trying to run it home and getting out. <laughs> so how how would you, how do you, what do you think would have made this movie more compelling for you? Yeah, again, I think a couple tweaks. I think one, they needed to they somebody needed to sit Heather Graham down and just say, "Girl, go for it. Like go for it. Like just be outlandish." Like cuz she just looks so checked out throughout this performance. Like I really wanted her to have the vibe of Did you ever see the Hugh Grant and Drew Barrymore movie Music and Lyrics? Yeah. Okay, so do you remember the singer that they have, that they work with? Like, I wanted her to have that vibe of just, she's so intense about what she's doing, and, like, problematically co-opting Eastern philosophy, and, like, I just wanted, like, that vibe for this role, and I know Heather Graham can do that, so, Mm -hmm. so that would be thing number one. Thing number two, I think that we need more scenes like what happened um, at the restaurant. I think we needed less of the rush into, oh, mm-hmm. Susan and Nick like each other, and more just them spending time together as friends. I think we needed more moments, like maybe that was more scenes like them babysitting her nephew. Um, which was very cute. Which was very cute. Like maybe we needed a couple montages of that, of them just like, hanging out and the romantic tension slowly building um because i feel like it just the train just left the station we were so quick into oh now they're into each other and then abruptly the brakes were pushed like uh, like they pulled the emergency brake and they didn't get to see each other for the last third of this film and i think that that was really jarring and i think we needed more of the slow build up 
less time with them apart. More scenes like the babysitting scene and the restaurant scene of just them being friends, them connecting as people. Um, I think we needed more time with her legal assistants, who were great. Also Uh, true. They were some of the most compelling characters, Denise and Roberto. Those two rocked. I wanted way more of them. Uh, They seemed super fun. Um, I also could have done with less time about her car and, like, the thing with, like, her car handle, door handle. That was weird. Um, yeah. But, yeah, basically, I think there's just, like, something off here in the structure of this film. And I think with a few adjustments, it could have been way better, which is probably why I'm being so hard on it, is, like, the the good movie is in there. It's so close. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you. Um, it's it's interesting because they for the for the amount of money that I'm sure they spent on the star power in this movie, um, it really doesn't feel like a whole lot of effort was put into the script. Like it it's just. It it feels like they wrote a bunch of scenes and were like, this is fine. And then got incredible people to act in it. But I I agree. And I liked what we got. But I definitely agree that more of everything would have been an improvement. Yeah, I th- I think you're right on with like the script is really what's doing the disservice here. Um, I think... Um, Rachel Lee Cook and Wayne, especially Damon Wayne's Jr. are super charming. Um, but yeah, I, I think the script just is not serving them. And I think that, um, I think that they were so wrapped up in this premise that they forgot to, like, put in normal character development scenes. Sure. Uh, um, this just seems like a movie that's so driven by the formula, um, even more so than most rom-coms. And I, I think about, you know, like, Set It Up, which is also a very formula-driven film, has a lot more moments of just characters being people, um, and I think that's what this film needed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, how did we, I don't know, the one thing I did like in this movie, and I don't know what you thought about it, but one thing I did appreciate about this movie, how did we feel about, like, the portrayal of, one thing I thought was interesting was, like, the portrayal of Seattle, and, like, we did actually see, like, for for a Netflix movie, a fair amount of, like, geography of them, like, going between her office and the waterfront and, like, the tech office. Yeah, I actually, I thought that the setting was really, um, it had a, it had a very distinctive sense of place, which I appreciated. Um, like, I don't, I don't remember if they ever say that they're in Seattle, but I could tell that they were. Um, 
I don't know. It made me miss leaving my house. Oh, <laughs> you know, right? Travel. What was travel? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they did a good, like, I just really appreciated they had a moment where Susan, where when Nick first comes to Susan's house and he's basically like, wow, this is a nice place for a lawyer who mostly does pro bono work. And she's like, yeah, I can only afford to live here because my brother-in-law owns the building and I provide a lot of childcare. So I'm glad they at least had, like, those kind of moments. Mm-hmm. Although I will say it was very disconcerting for a very pro bono law firm to all be using fancy MacBooks. I... Uh- Yeah. I don't know, man. (laughs) (laughs) I I just had a moment where I was like, I'm going to retcon this. They were using Chromebooks. Come on. (laughs) It makes me wonder if they got some funding for Apple. Oh, I'm sure they did. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, especially because, like, aren't... Doesn't Seattle have, like, big Microsoft offices? Oh, yes, I think so. One of the things that I appreciated is that I did not get the feeling that this movie was very heavily like Susan is like Susan must find a partner. Otherwise, she is incomplete. Hmm. Like, she she has a couple of conversations with people where she's just like, now's not the right time. I'm busy with my career. But I did not really get the feeling, like, unless I just totally zoned out, I don't think she has a conversation with her sister who is married and pregnant and gives birth during the course of the movie that, like, oh, Susan, you're missing out. If only you had what I had. Like, her sister just seems to be rooting for the fact that Susan and Nick are into each other. Yeah, I think I did appreciate her sister because they definitely have a, like, sister heart-to-heart early on in the film, and it, it really is about you don't seem happy, you don't seem to have any friends, like, you seem to work all the time. Like, is that what you want? But yeah, there is never a... You need to find a man so you can have a baby, too. Yeah, like, I I got the feeling that the movie was content to just kind of let Susan figure it out. And, like, she she is happy with her career, and then eventually she's happy with Nick. And it's not like, she's, she's not struggling, like oh, well, if I'm if I'm in a relationship, then I can't be a lawyer or because I'm a lawyer, I can't have a relationship. It's just it hasn't worked out up until now. And now it has. And that's cool. The other kind of message that the film has that I like is that um, there is a scene where Susan is interviewing Nick's ex-fiance and then she comes to find out that like might not be totally relevant, and then the ex-fiance does end up needing to come into the lawsuit, but there's never, like, I did like that, like, the ex-fiance was never, like, trashing Nick, and, like, they were never anything but cordial to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, and the ex-fiance was supportive of, oh, okay, he's trying this lawsuit. Cool, well, I can come be a character witness for him. I liked that, too. That was kind of the other, just, like, you know, this is not two women having a cat fight over a dude. Mm -hmm. And, like, everyone was, you know, a set of ex-partners being very grown up. You know, I liked that, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm a little bit running out of things to say about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you... I mean, like I said, I found it to be a largely pleasant and ultimately forgettable viewing experience. <laughs> I, say, I think you started this episode by saying this was a very thin movie, and I think yeah. that's the, the ultimate descriptor. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty thin. It's, um... I I, I wonder... If if this had been written as a book, I think I would have been deeply, deeply in love with it. Like, like think about this as a book with alternating chapters from Nick and Susan's POV. Well, have I got a book for you? Because I have one. I actually, this was a great, this is the easiest recommendation I've ever had. I like finished this movie and I was like, oh, I know exactly what book I'm recommending. Okay, great. Fantastic. What is it? Okay, so the book I'm going to recommend is called The Right Swipe by Alicia Rye. Have you <gasps> heard of this book? I love, I haven't, but I love Alicia Rye's stuff. Okay. So, um, yeah, so the premise of this book is a, it's actually, the, the law stuff is not there, so that might actually be a plus for you. Um, but it is about a dating app developer, Rhiannon. Um, who has essentially, it, it seems very similar to Bumble. Um, okay. She, she's developed, which my understanding is like one of Bumble's things is like women initiate conversations. Um, so yeah, so she has basically formed Bumble, um, and had this really great one night stand with this dude, um, he ghosted her. She had never heard from him again. Several months later, he shows up as a spokesperson for one of her competitors. And actually her, I believe her former employer. Um, and he turns out to be a pro football star. Um, and so it's a, a second chance romance that has a lot of stuff about online dating. Um, and it has a very similar vibe. So, yes, The Right Swipe by Alicia Rye. Alicia Rye is great. Um, I think I've recommended others by her before. I think I recommended um, Hate to Want You, which is my personal favorite, Alicia Rye. But, yeah, she's always great. This is a great book. Martha, I think you will love it. I'm trying to decide if I have recommended this book that I'm about to recommend before which I am not recommending because it has anything to do with law, but because it was written by a lawyer. All right. Um, I think everyone should read Party of Two, Jasmine Guillory's newest novel. I love Jasmine. She's a lawyer. She's great on Twitter. And she writes completely charming uh, and extremely readable romance novels. Um, her, I'm sure that I've recommended The Wedding Date on here before which starts as a fake boyfriend story and then turn which is one of my favorite tropes um 
when done right. I've <laughs> I feel like we've we've broken down how it's one of my favorite ones when I enjoy <laughs> it and my least favorite ones when I don't. Um but no, her new her new new one out this year or 2020, I think it came out last year. Um Party of Two. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Main character moves to LA to start her own law firm. Yes. Oh, I win. <laughs> <laughs> um, bring it right back around. <laughs> well, this is great because, like, my recommendation has the dating app part, and your recommendation has the lawyer part. So, like, we have found this movie in book form. <laughs> yes, and um, Party of Two is fun because it's about uh, Olivia, who is a lawyer, um, and meets Max uh one night um and then after their after their initial flirty meeting uh she finds out that max is a senator who is quickly becoming kind of a a high profile name and then she has to decide if she wants to be dating a politician who's a high profile politician um and the media scrutiny that could come on her uh, should she choose to pursue a relationship with him? It's super fun. Um, Jasmine writes great characters. Uh, read all of her stuff, but this is the the one specifically that I'm recommending for this uh, for this pairing. Next episode. Once a long, long time ago. <laughs> I had the idea to start this podcast because Netflix made a movie called To All the Boys I've Loved Before. And now, finally, several years later, I'm too lazy to look up and see when the first one came out. Um, They have finally adapted the third book in Jenny Han's trilogy, Always and Forever, Lara Jean. It will be released on Netflix on February 12th, and we will be discussing it the following Wednesday on February 17th. We're coming full circle. We are coming full circle. I am for... I was going to say, I'm concerned that this will be a case of diminishing returns, but... um, the lead actress and Noah Centineo are so freaking cute that I will enjoy watching them anyway. I can't just call her. Oh my god. Uh, Lana? Is it Lana? Or Lana? Lana Condor. Lana Condor. I love her. She's adorable. She and Noah Centineo are two of my favorite. Uh, young actors. I love that Noah Centineo has become like <laughs> the face of Netflix teen cinema. It's incredible. <laughs> um, and yeah, that is what we will be discussing on our next episode. Until then, if you would like to listen uh, or if you need something to tide you over until our next episode, you can check out my other podcast, which releases on the same feed on alternating Wednesdays which I record with Martin's husband, Pete, called Did You Do Your Homework, where we uh, make each other watch movies or read books on a topic that we want to talk about. Our last episode was about food in fictional narratives, and our next episode is going to be food in nonfiction narratives, um, because I decided that I wanted to talk about food stories and how much I love them. 
you can follow me on you can follow me personally online which i should tell you after you can i tell you that you can follow the show on all the places at dydyh podcast um but yeah you can follow me at all the places at magical martha uh marin where can people find you yeah people can find me on twitter at a underscore star underscore danced with which the release with the release of bridgerton i have been tweeting lately mostly about romance novels and rom-coms so fantastic if that interests you feel free to give me a follow um you can read my newsletter which i write whenever i feel like it at tinyletter.com backslash magical Martha. I, I, I write it sometimes. <laughs> it's unpredictable. Um, I don't know. Am I forgetting anything? Pete's not on here to let me know <laughs> I'm forgetting anything. I don't, I don't think you're forgetting anything. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we hope that you have enjoyed this episode. We will see you next time. And until then, just remember that we love ya. And now I'm going to record a clean copy of our spoiler warning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> up at the top. <laughs>